when Bruce Hardy's kidney cancer spread to his lung, his doctor recommended an expensive new pill. But the British health authorities refused to buy the medicine. His wife has been distraught. Everybody should be allowed to have as much life as they can, she said in the couple's modest home outside London. A clinical trial showed that the pill delays cancer progression for six months at an estimated cost of $54,000. But according to a government agency, the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, otherwise known by the acronym NICE, the nation can afford only about $22,000 to save six months of a person's life. The same issue, of course, exists in our country. Skyrocketing prices for drugs and medical devices have led a growing number of nations to ask the hardest questions. How much is a life worth? Mrs. Hardy reflected, it's hard to know that there is something out there that could help, but they're saying you can't have it because of cost. What price is life, she asked. Well, after reading this, I sat quietly for a long while, actually, and thought about my life and the lives of those closest to me. And then out into an ever-widening spiral of life, say, all the way to the farthest reaches and poorest villages of the world. I just sat with it. What price is life? I let the matter settle into my consciousness. And lost in my thoughts, it occurred to me that Mrs. Hardy had asked an Advent question. What price is life? It's an Advent question in part because this is our season for anticipating the birth of a seeming illegitimate child. Remember that this, as the story is told, Mary became pregnant before she was married, embarrassing Joseph, her betrothed, who had decided to quietly divorce her. That's what it says in Matthew in the early chapters. She had cheated on him. Yet that little vulnerable life was deemed worthy of a loving reception and the child would grow into a man who would come to be known as the very embodiment of abundant life. Only to die horribly 30 some years later as a victim of political corruption. And that irascible character known as John the Baptist who we heard from today the guy up there above my head, always in early Christian art, John is depicted as pointing to Jesus. So he's doing that here in our sanctuary, pointing to the Jesus in the Golden Dome. He also had an early and dramatic end to his life. Do you remember how, following the famous dance by Salome, 
who demanded John's head for payment, another dramatic political corruption. <clears throat> and we might ask, what price is life? That question has specific economic considerations in the 21st century that absolutely confound all of our ethical formulations. But it also has a timeless existential quality as well. If we listen deeply to that question, I mean really listen, we'll hear much of the world's trauma in it. Listen close and we'll hear about the astonishing cost of war, for instance. Do you know how much we have spent on war since 9-11 in the United States? Just the United States, do you know? Someone knew at nine o'clock, six trillion dollars. Six trillion dollars, a number so big we can make no sense of it whatsoever. And so it just goes whew. Listen further and we'll hear voices from prison cells and the voices of the hungry and the dispossessed and the voices of refugee children. What price is life? Are some worth more than others? Writing to the Roman church, you heard earlier, Paul strenuously emphasized that Gentiles were as worthy as Jews of God's grace and favor. All were the same. That was the whole point of that passage you just heard. And he began that passage by saying, we're accessing ancient texts that bring forward the truth that all people are worthy in God's eyes. All were the same. All were children of God, no one above another. In this way, Paul was admonishing the church to prepare God's way in the world. You heard Paul clearly. This question has been asked in every language and every time. What price is life? The words of Isaiah we heard in the Halray were addressed to people who were suffering great turmoil. Soon they'd all be hauled off to Babylon in exile. They yearned for someone to take notice that their lives were worth a lot more than what they were then experiencing. They longed for justice. In the midst of their suffering from absolutely corrupt leaders, Isaiah spoke a word of hope about a time when God's justice and peace would return to them and righteousness would be the coin of the realm, a righteousness that would address the question, what price is life? And centuries later, John the Baptist repeated this word of hope in the wilderness outside Jerusalem. Prepare the way of the Lord, he said. Make straight his paths. The word of life, renewal, and restoration is timeless in its urgency for answering the question, what price is life? The answer lies with the source of life itself, with God, who shows us a pattern, a way of living in the world a way of justice and righteousness. This is the way Jesus walked. It was the way of love and hope and trust and faith. 
These are the tools we've been given for making paths straight. Doesn't sound like much, does it? Love and hope and trust and faith. And today we repeat the same word of God in a timeless cadence that sets forth the human situation. We are creatures who sprang to life from God's own breath. And in this way, our time is no different at all than any other former time. This explains why these ancient texts still ring with such clarity concerning our situational predicament. Prepare the way of the Lord, friends. Make his path straight still names the work that's before us. Annie Dillard points out, there were no formerly heroic times and there was no formerly pure generation. There never was a more holy age than ours and never a less. There is no less holiness at this time than there was the day the Red Sea parted. There is no whit less might in heaven or on earth than there was the day Jesus said, made arise to the girl who had been left for dead. In an instant, the sacred may wipe you with its finger. In an instant, you may avail yourself of the power to love your enemies, to accept failure and slander or grief or loss or endure torture any day. A day just like this one, for instance. A day is as, any day is as good a one to choose to follow the way Jesus walked to help him make paths straight in a very crooked world. To wrestle with the question, to own it as it were, what price is life? Theologian Paul Tillich once said that if eternity is not seen in the present, it cannot be seen at all. And as I said last week, the time zone in which we live is called eternity. That's our time zone. It's right here, right now, in this present moment, pregnant in the very same way Mary is pregnant. What does eternity look like? It looks like love in action. It looks like Joseph overcoming his doubt and fear and taking Mary as his wife and her baby as his own. That's what eternity looks like. Noted biblical scholar N.T. Wright was recently asked what made him most hopeful about modern Christianity, if he could be hopeful right now. He said, when the world is in serious pain, you will find Christians following the straight path Jesus walked, the path of justice and righteousness that's why the gospel spread in the first place, with ordinary Christians doing the ordinary Christian things. It transforms society and is much more, much more than any number of appointments to the Supreme Court. And he wasn't so much making a political statement as he was making a theological statement, which is the work before us isn't out there with somebody else 
or with organized, associating organized with political power? The answer is right here with us. How ordinary Christians conduct their lives. The onus on us, the onus on us, what we do, how we live. In Luke's Gospel, when John the Baptist is asked what the people should do to make the paths straight for God, he offers some really very homely wisdom. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, he says. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Well, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content. In other words, live righteous lives and you'll change the world. Imagine that. Live a righteous life and you'll change the world. Treat one another well as equals equals construct communities of fairness and equanimity or as Jesus would put it love God above all else but love your neighbor as yourself make love real that's what it means to prepare God's way in the world making love real An old fable tells of a wise rabbi who asked his pupils how they could tell when the night had ended and the day had begun. Could it be, one of the pupils asked, when you see in the distance an animal and can tell whether it's a dog or a sheep? No, answered the rabbi. Another asks, well, is it when you can see a tree and know whether it's a fig or a peach? And again, the rabbi answered, no. Well, then what is it? The students asked. It is when you can look on the face of any man or woman and see that it is your sister or brother. Because if you cannot see this, it is still night. That rabbi had the eternal word of God on his mind when he told that little parable. He had in mind making straight, making straight the path in the desert, preparing the road for the Lord, as it were. And on that day, the price of a life would be known for certain and the glory of the Lord would be revealed and all the people would see it together. <laughs>